I hope that I hope that giving you a book into your hands. I know there are um, I know there's some people who don't 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 like to read, and I get that. I'm sorry, that's just thought. And I, and I get that. I mean, I get that some people don't like to read. And I also know that, you know, when you encounter a chapter, that's, you know, the first page, the first bit is 50 pages. I know that we're not going to do the whole 50 pages. But I also think, in some ways, um, you know, having you read gives, you need more than me. And it actually gives structure that's actually more than you. And so, and at least gives you something to react to. So I've tried to make this in such a way that you can read if you want to. But I also think um, maybe you don't necessarily have to read. Um, when I was in Arcadia, the dean this summer, I gave, uh, somebody asked, and this is always a dangerous thing, but, um, you know, they asked for 10 books I would give seminarians uh, to read, and uh, maybe just, you know, normal folks too, uh, and this was one of them, uh, and I, I gave it to them for a couple of reasons. Um, two, one is the Lutheran thing that... Um, we talk a lot about a lot. We talk a lot about this, but um, when it comes to living it, we get so nervousness. And more and more in the course of my life, I think that, that that lack of living it is a disingenuous thing. I think it is protection from letting the Lord have every last bit of our lives. And normally, that just falls under the rubric of you know we don't get saved by works. And you know I'm well aware of that. Uh, however. Or we're free. We're free of that. Well, we're not so free that we're free of Christ himself. So that, that's the first bit. I just want to, I just want to um, and I know that I've, I've I had a, people, a few people say to me over the past couple of years, there's such a lot of talk about um, things that we're doing. And the answer is, that's right. Because at some baseline level, uh, once, you, you're, once you understand that the gift that Jesus gives is the beginning and not the end. And so the brilliant, it's the second time this summer I've encountered a book that began with the, the bit from Eliot. But once you, be, once you understand that, that your ends are beginnings, so the end of your justification is your beginning. The whole notion we just went through with the eighth grade kids and seventh graders about how the font is both a womb and a tomb. It's a place you die. It's a place where you're given birth. When you understand that life, is an, is, is not a, life in the church is not a stopping point, it's a beginning point for all creative energy, um, then your life is different. The other thing is, is and this is particularly good, um, <clears throat> If you have a seventh or eighth grader, you should go home and ask them what the blick is, uh, which is just code that we use for um, incarnational sacramental life. And you can only understand that. Uh, well, so here, here's the thing. Sometimes uh, that's our bread and butter. I mean, if we really believe what we say we believe about Christ, we actually believe in the bodily presence of Christ in the universe. We believe in the bodily presence of Christ here. Uh, as Gainig's uh, dissertation supervisor says, you chew the words of scripture as you chew the elements of the Eucharist, and there's no distinction. In one sense, that's very true. So we believe that in spoken word about Christ, Christ is bodily present. We actually believe the same Jesus who hung on the cross is present in this room by way of voice. We also believe that same Jesus is present in the font and at the altar by way of voice, in tangible ways. And frankly, we believe, if we really believe, and we spent the whole last year talking about this on Sunday morning, if we really believe the church is the body of Christ, and that's not just some euphemism for being nice to other people, but if you actually understand that when you engage another person in this room, you actually engage Christ. It was a great now and bit, right? That even in the weakest uh, and the ugliest, even in the unbeliever, even in the stranger, you encounter Christ. Um, in different ways, of course. I mean, I encounter Gigi in one way because she is baptized. I encounter a homeless man another way because Christ is in the stranger. Do it to the least of these and you do it unto me. But if you start to understand your life that way, your life is a very different place. And it's horribly difficult for us to understand the world that way precisely because of the things he describes. On the other hand, and I hope this is the joy of the book, I hope that you understand the greatest possible life is the life that understands the bodily presence of Christ everywhere. Last night I gave a lecture to, I don't know why in the world, I, at least I didn't know why in the world I was invited there to start. I had a lecture for a group of people who turned out to be aspiring high school counselors, not church particularly. And so then I thought, I had an hour and 15 minutes to talk to them about what I do, which I, could, I thought they couldn't be less interested in. And the first 10 minutes was a bit rocky. 
Because uh, <clears throat> I said, you know, you know, there's all this church school, public, private, Jesus, not Jesus. And frankly, it's not just Jesus because, you know, they have kids across the spectrum of, you know, they have kids with 15 languages and six religions. and one. So I, I sort of said, I don't know what possible good I could be for you. Um, but I ended up talking about um, shame, guilt, and tragedy, which actually are the places where a pastor can do some good. And it was very interesting to see how they clicked in because their kids are filled with the effects of shame, guilt, and tragedy, okay? Shame being what's done to them, guilt being what they've done, and tragedy, which is, you know, you get four kids from a high school killed in a car accident, what do you do? Those kinds of things, very real for them. And suddenly, the bodily presence of Christ makes all kinds of sense. It makes sense in a negative way, it should make sense also in a positive way. And uh, if you can get sort of moved to that, if you can understand the world with that sort of joy, if you can begin, um, as he does, to close the gap between your thinking and your living, life is just a different deal. So if you've got a book, now what we should have done, does everybody have a book? I mean, it would make you have a book, but we have 10 books upstairs. Hey, Jen Cole, gracious service. I'm really sorry, but there was a complaint about not enough coffee, so I went to make another can you bring the rest of them down? Can you carry all of them? Yeah, go with Jill. There's about 10 at the top of the stairs. I don't, you know, if you want a book, you can take a book. If you don't want a book, if you don't want to read, if you want to read, take the book. I don't care. I need to know if I need more books. That's fine. I don't care if you pay for the book. If you can pay for the book, pay for the book. If you can't pay for the book, I can care less if you pay for the book. It doesn't mean, this is the least of my worries, okay? Um, but just, if you got a book, um, Martha, Martha. <laughs> Who is in that story? A very nice woman, by the way. <laughs> uh, the Lord loves her, by the way. She gets, a bad, she gets a bad rap in that story. Who needs a book? Raise your hand. Take a book. Uh, I, think I'm only, I think I'm only up for, I'm not up, I'm not, well, you might be on that wall right there. You can turn me up, I think. Or no? Whoa. There you go. I'm actually was miking. I was miking for upstairs. Yeah. Hey, whose children are in there? Whose children are those? Why can't those children be quiet? Take a book. It doesn't matter. Take one for now. We'll. we'll if you don't. If you got it. I mean, if you got one at home, just give it back when you're done. I don't care. The book is just something to get you somewhere. It's not. You know. It's just a book. But it's a great book. Uh, just go to the first page. Did you like the Did you like the Hopkins poem? First yeah, the first, first one. Page first page. Well, yeah. the one that says page one on the bottom. <laughs> but you're right. There are. There are. <laughs> I mean, I just page one. You're right. The church is the only place where you number the numbers and then you start again. You know, the glory of the new hymnal is they've numbered straight through. There's only one page one instead of in the blue hymnal. There's three page ones. Yeah, isn't that glorious? It's very confusing to us all I know, I know, I know. That's the thing. Yeah, I know. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, do you know this poem? Did you know this? Did you know this poem? Anybody know this? It's, um, well, just slowly once. It says, Kingfishers catch fire, dragonflies draw flame. As tumbled over rim and roundy wellstones ring, like each tucked string tells, each hung bell's bow swung finds tongue to fling out broad its name. Each mortal thing does one thing and the same, deals out that being indoors each one dwells. Selves goes itself, myself it speaks and spells, crying, what I do is me, for that I came. This is the first bit completely anthropocentric. There's a way to understand the world that is completely about bells and wells and stones and persons and no more. That is most of the people that you know. Most of the people you know um, are only about what they can sense. If it's beyond their ken, it doesn't exist. That's one the day now. So you, you now, you now though, though you may have lived for a couple thousand years, um, in a Christian majority, uh, with a Christian view, at least in general, such a thing no longer exists. I say more. The just man justices, keeps grace, that keeps all his goings graces, 
acts in God's eye what in God's eye he is, Christ. For Christ plays in 10,000 places, lovely in limbs and lovely in eyes, not his, to the Father through the features of men's faces. This is Luther. You're all little Christ to each other, right? So you're animated by Christ. You turn to the person next to you, you see him, you see Christ. And it is Christ who animates your life. Yes, please. I still? Okay. Here you go. I'm going to do this because uh, faith is a sonic experience. If actually I go this way, it'll be, it'll be okay. Wow, that's really loud over here, too. Hey, you kids, hold it down here. There's a church. You're not supposed to have any fun. How's that? Is that okay? Old school, right? There you go. Yeah. Old Lutherans, right? Old school. There you go. That's right. You got to keep them in line. Okay, so there you go. Um, so anyway, I just, uh, I just wondered then. Uh, I, just, I just wonder, I wonder how you find this. Did you read? And is, now you can't hear? Are you serious? Can you not? <laughs> is it? But you know, at, you know in, the wedding, in, in, the, in the wedding service, there is the point where you promise to be deaf to the sound of your spouse's voice. You remember that? For the sake of your sanity? You remember this. You said it, everybody says it. And will you hear all other voices except the one next to you here? I do. Okay, so... Um, so I was just wondering how the first bit struck you, or if you're in, uh, if you're in rebellion against this, or if you're okay. Because in, in part, I mean, of course, if you're in rebellion against it, then I have to be in rebellion against you. So you may not want to publicly admit that. But I was just curious how this, how this plays for you. Yeah? Are you okay with it? Yeah, I didn't get it. So I'm glad you explained it. Well, you know what? Um, it's after you read, like all, you know, poetry is... Uh, but after I read the book, I can understand it a little more. Gotcha. I mean, it's just a, it's, I mean, it's a way of saying things... I heard this brilliant lecture when I was in Scotland by a woman who is probably the best Augustan scholar in the United Kingdom. And she talked about uh, <laughs> the blue note in Augustan. Do you know, do you know if by jazz know what a blue note is? Blue note is the odd note that draws your attention and reinterprets everything else. This is, I mean, this is, you gotta be somebody who knows about jazz notes. But it's just, this is why bars are called the blue note. The blue note is this offhanded thing that reinterprets everything else. I have, a, I have an image of Miles Davis playing on Saturday Night Live. It was about three minutes long. And it's one of the richest things I've ever seen. I could, I could recreate the whole thing. I can re recreate the sound, the stance. I can recreate the whole thing. And I'm not the big jazz guy, but there was something about that that was so primary that it was just like, ooh, that's what a blue note is. It just, is like, it just grips you, and, it's, and it reinterprets your whole life. That's what poets try to do. They try to reinterpret your whole life in a way that you'll never be the same again. And to do that, they need to jumble you just a bit. It doesn't always have to be with words. His words are upside down in some ways. I mean, you, when you read this, it's, it's not your proper order. He jumbles you with the order. Sometimes people jumble you with shock. Sometimes just saying things in a way you've never heard before. So it does sort of take, you know, it's sort of a haunting thing that just kind of takes charge of you. But just sort of let it take charge of you. Because when that happens, see, this is the whole notion of beauty and how things get at you. Um, for example, in, the, in chapel the last couple weeks now, and I don't know if you have kids in chapel, we've tried to teach them a, a little Tizay piece that's in Latin. Now, you know, kids, they sing it there, but the interesting thing is walking through the halls and hear kids singing it. Or brushing, kid, their, teeth. Or brushing their teeth and singing it. It's this, it's, this, it's this little thing that you would think is just sort of, why would you teach a kid to learn Latin and why would you teach it a repetitive thing? Because suddenly kids are learning, it doesn't make sense to them, they don't know Latin, and then they do. Laudate Dominus, right? Laudate Dominus, you know this, praise to God. Omnis Gentus, yeah? Did she sing it? That's it. There you go. Laudate. There you go. Who's got it? Laudate Dominus. Omnis. Everybody. Omni, like the store Omni that closed down. We got everything. Then we closed. Omni. Omnis. Gentus. Gentiles. Everybody. Praise God, everybody. Hallelujah.
It's just the Latin is so much more beautiful than any other, you know. But so, so, so see, the thing is, is those kids will never, so what will happen is someday they'll, you know, they'll go to Rome and read, ins they'll see inscriptions and they'll know a word or two, or they'll hear something and it'll be different for them. Their lives will be different. That's what it's meant to do. It's meant to upset your normal reality. So hopefully it upsets you in a normal sort of way, all right? Now, here's the thing. I can just keep talking, but as we all know, that's not best. So um, is there anything in here in the first, first couple of pages that you loved or you thought was particularly scintillating? Yes, please. And then I will come to you, Kirby. I didn't ignore you just because <laughs> you're my lovely wife. Yes. And I was like, I was like asking Kirby thinking about what it meant to our um but first of all I think it's really neat that they are three life is like is a destination in and of itself. Okay. You need a road map, your life is a journey. Yes, right. You have a road map and you have to plan ahead and figure out where I want to get here and now which would take to get me to my destination place. Right. Right, look at the bottom of page seven. Here's the thing, now does it irritate you when um, you have to read things five or six times and you drift off? No, I just, you know. Because if it does, I'm gonna advise you to take a vacation on the beach with the book. Because that's part of what a book is supposed to do. You're supposed to, the book isn't about the book, the book's about you and your life. So it's supposed to, it's supposed to tempt you into something you haven't thought about before. Look at the bottom of page seven. You can just look across you know, it talked about the Trinity. If you just look across, like five lanes up on page six, our worshiping and learning, conversing and listening, teaching and preaching, obeying and deciding, working and playing, eating and sleeping, takes place in the country of the Trinity. That is, in the presence and among the operations of God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. Now you should think of that, the way you learned that was the, the creed, and then you learned the catechism. But this is just a bit more fun, right? Across the page, Trinity maps the country in which we know and receive and obey God. This is horribly important. Anything that is outside the country of the Trinity is death to you. And you could never speak or act or see anything that lies beyond the boundaries of the Trinity. And I don't say that as an evil thing, I say that as a good gift to you. You live within the country of the Trinity. It is not the country itself, but a map of the country. And the most successful map is, I'm sorry, I missed a word there. And a most useful map it is, for God is vast and various, working visibly and invisibly. Here's you. Left to ourselves, we often get lost in blind alleys, get tangled up in thickets, and we don't have a clue where we are. I can't tell you the number of people who just come and feel lost. You may feel lost too, you just simply don't admit it. Lost manifests itself in all sorts of ways. This deep dissatisfaction that is sometimes pulsing, or this sort of gray that is just sort of always there as if there must be more to life and you just haven't quite found it yet. Or in pain, or it's masked by um, how all the ways that people self-medicate um, busyness, right? Busy, coffee, <laughs> yes, yes. Trying not to look at her, I don't know where she is, I'm trying to keep my face. <laughs> or, you know, all the other ways. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day who works at Borders who said the two, the two kinds of books that are most bought at Borders are, and the, the teachers last night could guess this, self-help, what's the other one? What's the most popular other kind of book that's bought at Borders right now? Not exactly, it is spirituality, but it's not exactly spirituality, it's witchcraft. The two, the two most popular thing, which is, uh, which is one answer to, which is the cool new thing. Somebody who's got a kid, oh, it was Dennis Wente who was, who was saying in Elders on Sunday, it, when Nathan went to high school, um, being gay was the new cool thing, and even kids who weren't gay were saying they were gay because that's the cool thing, and, but now that's been replaced by witchcraft, the cool new thing is to be a witch in high school. Isn't that nice? That's the world you live in, which is outside, uh, which is outside the country of the Trinity. They see, 
Yes, please. It is. Yes. It's stark. Yes, it is. Yes, please. No, I'm talking about, in, you can go to Borders and buy an instruction manual about how to cast a spell. I don't go to those sort of, sort of places. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, Netflix, exactly right, sorry. All right. But, but, see, but, but the other side is, you see, for God is vast and various, working visibly and invisibly. Left to ourselves, we often get lost in blind alleys, get tangled up in thickets, and don't have a clue where we are. The map locates us. It works on us. The map tells you where you are. The vocabulary, I'm sorry. Uh, the map locates it. It provides the vocabulary and identifies the experience by which we can explore God when there are no signs pointing to him, when there are no neatly lettered labels defining the odd shape or the feeling that is in front of our eyes. Hmm. All right. So, yes, please. Question? Go. Yes. That's right. Um, she would said, you know, kids come out of college, pop out of college looking for the perfect plan, and then they become depressed when they can't find it. There are parallels, of course, when people not only look for the perfect plan, but also the perfect spouse, yeah, uh, or the perfect job, or the perfect church. Uh, you know, if you find the perfect church, as soon as you join it, you've ruined it. Yes? So, uh, it is what it is, you know. I mean, who, it's Groucho Marx. Who would want to belong to a club that would let me in? Yeah, you know, you know how this works. So, um, just, just sort of keep that in mind. What we're trying to do is figure out um, what the world would look like if you were willing to play. And I think it is helpful at the bottom of eight and top of nine where um, he starts to talk about uh, all the other things that happen. Now, spirituality is the big noise. In fact, the, the thing that I was supposed to do last night, they said, would you come and talk about spirituality? And I, I am uh, I'm worthless in talking about spirituality. I mean, I couldn't, there couldn't be um, a thing that's more boring in one sense because spirituality is um, still all about me. And if it's all about me, it couldn't possibly be very uh, spiritual. So it's, it's just sort of, this is sort of dog chasing its tail when we talk about spirituality. To, to, to know that I have needs or that I have deep dissatisfaction or that I can't solve myself or that when I think I've solved myself, I've just fooled myself or busied myself or compared myself to somebody else, I'm better than you so I must be okay, is utter nonsense. You know that? So, so one of the things that, that's very, very helpful is just sort of clearing the decks. You know, you just sort of have to move away the stuff that is non-blickified. Anything that's not incarnational or sacramental should just give way. Most of you are old enough now that you realize with every decision you eliminate other possibilities. At some point, uh, you really need to be given yourself into, and this is extraordinarily difficult, but it is what faith means. Part of what faith means is to give yourself wholly to something which you cannot comprehend. And I mean that in the technical way. You give yourself wholly to something that you cannot be bigger than, that you cannot understand. You can talk about it any way you want. You can talk about it as mystery. You can talk about it as the divine. You can talk about it any way you want. But faith is to give yourself to something that is bigger than yourself, which by definition then you cannot understand in advance. So that was sort of last week. I did get a nasty letter or two about having a sermon on money again. And then, you know, I want to write back and say, are you stupid? But I don't because I'm a pastor and I can't say stupid, except in the <laughs> privacy of my own home. What I want to write back and say is, it's not about money. It's about open hands. It's about having your hands open. You see, I'm part of the text last week, and it is a difficult text, you know, the text about the unjust guy. It's not about, it's not about whether you've got things or don't have things. That, that's not the point. It's about whether you grip your things or not. It's not about poor people and rich people. The story's not about poor people and rich people. It's about people who are willing to open their hands and let everything come into play.
That's, that's what the story's about. Are you all in? It doesn't matter whether or not it's a little or a lot. It matters whether you're all in. And the two stories that, that, that he used um, to describe what he's talking about were all in stories. You remember these stories, right? The Nicodemus story? Did you go back and read them by chance? John, John 3 and John 4? Did, did you think this was brilliant, the way the two stories were put next to each other? I mean, I thought they were brilliant. Can you kind of remember what happened? Nicodemus comes, right? And you know what? You know, I feel like I'm hovering over you. I'm sorry. I should step aside and give you your space, yes? But um, when you read the text, do you find yourself speculating? Like, did, did you find yourself, um, we've got to find the page where Nicodemus is, but uh, 13, thank you very much. You remember the Nicodemus story, right? Nicodemus comes at night. Nicodemus is the leader of the Pharisees. Nicodemus comes to Jesus and says, what do I do? Uh, Jesus says, be born again. Nicodemus says, that's impossible. Jesus says, you know, for a leader of the Pharisees, you're not that smart. Nicodemus says, this has become apparent to me. And then uh, he goes out into the night, right? And then he reappears where? Does he reappear later in the text? In John's text? Not in this text, in John's text. Sorry? I'm sorry. Yeah, at the cross. He reappears at the cross, right? We don't meet him again until he's at the foot of the cross burying Jesus. Ooh, that's kind of interesting. All right. So on the one hand, there's Nicodemus, who's a bright boy and got everything going for him. On the other hand, you have this very strange woman in John 4 who um, says to Jesus, uh, you know, why would you, why would you talk to me? And then Jesus says, well, you, you obviously have some needs. And then she says, well, I do have a need or two. Or she self-admits, she self-diagnoses, well, you know, it's been, it's, it's been a run of husbands for me. And then Jesus says, yeah, what you need is a stiff drink. And then um, what she says is, have you got anything on you? And then he says, as a matter of fact, I do. Isn't that how the story goes? It's something like that, yes. It's much like your own homes, I, as far as I can tell. So, now here's the thing. My guess is, in that, I find myself very easily falling into the first couple, of, first couple of paragraphs. I find very easily, I find myself sort of psychologically diagnosing him, right? Um, or the woman. Is she, is she really um, sort of playing the race card where, where, where he starts? You're a Jew and I'm a Samaritan, never the twain shall meet, right? Bless you. Or is she, perhaps, I mean, this is an interesting interpretation, um, perhaps looking for a new man, you know? Which is another possibility. I know this is out of your ken because you've never known any women like this. But, um, you know, yeah, you're tough today. Is it just that we're just, you know, just we're not, we just have lost track of each other over the past few months or what's going on a little bit? Nothing is serious in here, okay? So she's, you know, is, I find it very interesting. Well, let me just, say, let me just ask you um, what you were talking about upstairs and downstairs. Oh, yes, dead silence, just like the eighth graders. Good. Okay, so here's the thing. My guess is, you think back to, I, I just, you know, every time I stand under one of those, it's like that, that green goop stuff that comes down on Nickelodeon. That's what I feel like every time I'm underneath one of those. Just, just let me ask you a question about what you were talking. Just think to your conversations. I mean, I'm not presuming anything about it, but just think to your conversations upstairs and downstairs. Just simple yes or no question. Um, were your conversations given um, <clears throat> to be about other people? <coughs> and in the other peopleness, were your conversations given to analysis? Kind of think back to your question. I'm just asking you what you were talking about. I'm not, I don't want you to say it out loud because God knows I don't. I just, by the way, by the way, I just want you to know that I didn't pop my wife on the, in case you're, in case you're, in, no, she, she goes to work like this yesterday and nobody asks all day long, but of course you know what they're thinking. Yeah, it's me. Yeah, it's that. It couldn't possibly be. Yeah, and then they think to the woman who shot her past her husband, and they're like, well, you know, could, you know, it happens, right? So, it was fascinating that nobody asked yesterday, so I just, I plead my innocence. Um, but that's a whole other thing. Okay, so go ahead. Yeah, could it be, could it be innocent analysis? That's your question. discussing your children in an analytical way, but not, not in a whiny, 
You know what I'm saying? Could you be discussing the possibility of a woman who's had four husbands who might be looking for a fifth? In sort of an innocent sort of way. You could. I know it's not what you're saying, but it's more fun if I spin it that way. <laughs> okay, so I just, I, just, I just posed the question. I just posed the question between your conversation and, and this conversation. It may be a slippery slope. It can be. I'm just curious. I'm, just, I just, I'm not asking you to reveal. I'm just asking what you're talking about. She's like that. <laughs> yes. I've talked to her too. I know I know what you're saying. Yes. Oh. Really? You big show off. So you said something. So you two did something nice. Is that what you're saying to me? So I should think more highly of you? No, no, I'm just saying, like, I, I also, when you say, were you talking about other people, right. I immediately, because I, you know, I, I don't want to. Then I bless you. Know, you think gossip immediately. <clears throat> yes, I do. But, I, you know, as a matter of fact, I do. Thank you. Those are very nice, weren't they? Yes. People, but it's, right. it's out of, you know, a concern. Thank you. So basically, you're taking Kirby's side on this. I totally am on Kirby's side. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Well, now, wait a minute. I talked to Gwen, too, and, and it wasn't like that, and it was about a pastor, and so now, like, Really? <laughs> if you said anything bad about a pastor, you are, in fact, going to hell. And it's very hot there, so I'm very sorry for you, and I'm in eternity's a long time. Sorry? She did pour the coffee. That's right. That's right. Saved by your good works. That's right. Uh, that's right. Yes, please. Yes, I have heard of such a thing, and I have seen such conversations disguised in such a way. Yes, I have. This is, the, the, this is sort of the sugary gloss of Christian concern. Yes? So maybe it didn't happen this morning, but... <clears throat> well, all the people in these conversations were strikingly religious. Jesus, Nicodemus, and the woman who works, worships up on Mount Gerizim at the Better Shrine. All you've got is that battle temple, and we're way up there, and... Our people still, you know, and they still do the animal sacrifice. The one place you can go and still see this Passover acted out. The Samaritans still do it. Busloads of people come up and, yeah, they still do. So they're better than everybody else. I only, I only put that to you because um, I think sometimes um, all that we talk about is so impractical, you know, or, or, you, or it's so easily dodged. Yes. Okay. But I'm just, but here's the thing. Sorry. Yes, you do. Finally, an honest woman. None of this dodging around about being nice or occasionally disguising things. She is still young. She hasn't learned all the tricks of the trade. Yes? Bless you, my child, for your... That's the whole point of talking to other people. You want to find out what their hidden... You want to find out what other people's hidden agenda is. I am sorry, but that is a delightful conversation. Yes, my child. Yes, now we continue, now we continue to push. The honesty, the joy of honesty. Yes, exactly. I knew she was bringing the coffee for another reason. I analyzed it. I saw it immediately. Thank you. I just want to, I want to push to say, good, you're startlingly, that's a startlingly great answer, okay? Okay, good. I can talk on the phone for two hours, analyzing, well, I 
Right. That's, <laughs> no, this is just so. It's, it's, this is so. We wait for signs. Yes, right. We do. Yes, right. Do you do you think that you could ever? Yes. Now let's just press a couple of different directions here. One is, um, do you think you'll ever get there? Yes. And have you ever gotten there in the past with other folks? Do you, has there already been any confirming data, or was it just a fairy tale, and does it even matter? I don't know if it matters to anybody else, but yeah. to us, yes. we, a few, a few people, we, well, we haven't found actual... Yeah, oh, good, yes. <laughs> Hard data. But... Yes, those people. Yes, I've seen how they've turned out as well. They're everywhere. Yes, they are. And if you could figure out the story, then what would be the next step? Oh, I, I, I deign to disagree with nothing. You? Oh, yes, okay, this is possible. I don't know who Elizabeth is, but I, and I'd hate to know her last name because then I want to hear, then I'll hear, think ill of more than, who was what? Okay, so let's just, okay, good, okay, oh, this is brilliant. Okay, so just, just pause right there because you've pressed us to such a point that we would have taken normally four weeks of therapy to get there. So this is really good. We're all the way out there. So we've got the data, and it's the way we have the data. We haven't cross-checked the data, but the data works for us. Now, what are the possibilities? One possibility is the next time we run into similar sort of folk, we'll know how to act. Another possibility is we can share that data with our friends. No, I'm not, no, I'm not saying you do. I'm saying, no, no, I'm saying we have data now. There, now there's a range of possibilities that each fit each one of us individually. No, you don't, but Holly wants to, and it's data, and it <laughs> seems to be working out okay. So one possibility, yes, exactly, you know, the, the Christian motive there. You can right. warn your friends. That's another. So one is, there's, so the, sort of the, there's the delight of a secret, and there's the delight of sharing a secret. There's the delight of understanding the world. Yes, and I would just suggest to you that there's hardly any difference between this and buying a book on witchcraft from Borders. No, no, I'm not. not here's the thing. I'm not, take, take. I'm not. No, 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 no. no. You've only. I no. I say no, no. You're. I'm beyond your story now. You've only pressed me to one. I'm completely. I'm only using your story as a prop to go forward. Okay, so don't. So your story. Now it's going to be my story. Okay. Now it's no. Seriously, sir. You pushed us to such a fruitful point, but now I just want to suggest that what we, what we all tend to do is, what is this an exercise in? Sorry? Control. It is an exercise in control, exactly. It's an exercise in power. Because if I asked you if you could choose one thing, what's the great temptation? When Jesus faces the three temptations in the scriptures, what's the temptation about? They're all about control. They're all about power. They're all about being number one. They're all about making sense of a senseless life. They're all about being satisfied in an unsatisfied life. They're all about being number one, right? But we talk about religion, too. Good for you. <laughs> it's not about you. It's not about you. It's not about you. you see, I, I pause. I pause. Only, you only took us. You only, you know, I, I really confess that this is not about you. It's only about me from then on. I only pause as far as you we're honest enough to admit that such a thing's happened. We had some people here denying that such a thing ever happens, which I had counter evidence for that, because, and I tried to pull the counter evidence from your conversations here and upstairs. There are very few people who are willing to say such things, but I suspect, you know, that I, see, I see evidence. So are you suggesting that when you analyze, you're trying to get power over a situation? Is that kind of what your suggestion is? I am, but I'm not, but I don't really care about that. What I would, I, well, in the way that we spun this through, I think there's a way to analyze things in the way of ourselves that does, in fact, entail trying to have power. Gossip. What is the reason for gossip? It gives you power over other people. People walk into a room and everybody stops talking. What does that do? We know more than you do, and it's clear to the person who's walked in that, you know, that's go to the person exactly what's going on. Yes, in the worst case, it can be that way. So, so you, there's, there's, there's scads of stories in the scriptures where the disciples, Jesus is bumping into somebody, the disciples say, why is he doing that? The Pharisees are always saying, why does he eat with sinners? The disciples are saying, come on, can we get going? Because you don't have time for that, right? 
They're analyzing the situation in a way that is, now I'm going to suggest to you, outside the country of the Trinity. Because it no longer shows concern for all that we confess. On a good day, we say that we're for the poor, and we're for the hungry, and we're for sinners, and everybody's welcome here. And then this morning, we have prayers for, you know, kids who are being discriminated against because of the melatonin content in their skin. I just, I'm just sort of posing to you. Analysis is not always bad. There are kinds of analysis that go bad. Jesus, well, let me ask you this. Does Jesus analyze or not? What do you think? Totally. Okay, so what's the difference between Jesus' analysis and yours? He has a completely different kind of analysis. We, we, would, we would say, um, it wouldn't, couldn't Nicodemus be a little smarter? Or what's he really after? He comes at night. Nobody goes to a rabbi at night. You go to the rabbi in the day when he's sitting under the tree and he's welcoming in his people. Right? Nobody goes to a rabbi at night. He comes. Thank you. Right. He does not analyze so that he can exercise power over them. The gospel never works by force. He does not analyze. When you and I analyze in this way, we analyze so that we can make satisfaction out of an unsatisfactory life, or we can find our way out of the thicket that's got us into or we can boost our sagging self-esteem, or da-da-da-da-da, anything else about us. You'll notice in no case does Jesus allow them to be talking about themselves. To talk about yourselves while you pretend to inhabit the country of the Trinity is completely, it, it just completely not know what you're doing. The rules are different in this place, and the rules are always Christological, they're always incarnational, they're always sacramental. In both cases, what he is trying to get them to do is to stop talking about themselves and start talking about him. And even when they talk about themselves, what he's trying to get them to do is to see that he's in them, with them, for them. So Nicodemus, you need to get born again. He doesn't say to Nicodemus, you know, what are you up to? Or why'd you come at night? Or don't, you know, he, he doesn't guess at the motive. What he does, he takes the simple fact of a broken life or a quizzical life, you know, or a life that is unsatisfied, and he directs them to the only place where their deepest needs can be met. He directs them back to himself, right? So I just, you're, you know, is it wrong to analyze? It's not wrong to analyze. But if your analysis doesn't end up with Christ, it's the wrong analysis. And if it, is, if, it, if it ends up in an exercise of power, it's certainly wrong, which is no different than witchcraft. And let me explain my statement. Because witchcraft is only, an ex is only, a, is only it's a simple attempt to exert power. Even people who are white witches, I regular, this is as far back as my vicarage at Northwestern. I had a very nice girl who came to my Bible study every week and was also a practicing white witch. Very interesting. I, wonder, I always wonder what, she studies physics. I wonder how that all fit together now. But you know, that's 30 years ago. Um, and she says, well, we only try to manipulate the things for good. That's what white witches will always say. I'm a white witch. I just try to manipulate things for the good. And the answer is, yeah, you are manipulating things, including other people, so that, like casting a spell on somebody to make them love you or love somebody else, for example. That's a manipulation of other people so that you get what you want. It's all about you. Because, after all, you know what's best in all the world, right? Just, there's no difference. There's no difference between witchcraft and gossip. They're both exertions of power. See, I mean, I, this is difficult to hear, but this is what it is. And you're living in a different, is this shocking? No. Is it wrong? No. Is it spooky? No. <laughs> Good. Exorcisms are available after, after class. Okay. Okay. Huh? Yeah. Oh! <laughs> Whoa! No, we, we're much more. We're much more. We cut things much more finely than that. You see? No, but I'm, just, I'm serious. I, I just mean that was just like a revelation. I know. I mean, it's it's just like I'm always trying to manipulate for good because I know what's best. Of course you do. That's all. I just, yes, right. It just kind of struck me. That yes, right. Oh, that was it. 
Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, right. But you, but you, 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 you take the. Yes, it wasn't me. And I didn't hit, I didn't hit Kirby either. <laughs> didn't hit you or Kirby. I didn't hit either one of you. <clears throat> All right, here's the thing now. Here's the thing. Try to do something. We got to do this. We'll do this. We'll do that. That's All right, what? Switch. Now, yeah. <laughs> the thing is, is, I hate to disabuse you. I hate. I hate. I hate. I'm looking in a book. Yes, please. I think she can. I think you can. You know, this makes me think about something that you had told me about being not wanting to wait. Uh, the crux of her sin in the garden being not wanting to wait for the big thing that God had and wanting to make the big thing happen now, which was getting wisdom. So to me, that is the perfect, I, it's just, it's the good, I mean, I've thought about that 24-7 since we spoke, but it's because the, the good things that you want to manipulate or change or whatever, I, I've started thinking, well, <coughs> the Lord provides me with every good and perfect gift, and maybe I just need to let him give it to me instead of grabbing it and making it happen. Because you know what? We can make a lot happen without witchcraft. Yes, you can. Um, the demonic happens in many ways. Our little sins. Witchcraft is a specific kind of sin. So here's the thing. I just want to, just to your comment, I just want to say two things. One is, you're bang on exactly right in a global sort of way. In a broad sort of way, you're very right. Yes, in a technical way, you're, you're not right. But there isn't an awful lot of difference between, you know, my point is, same evil produced in different ways, equally potent, right? So, now how do you do it right? Um, 16, the third paragraph down. See, partly what I want you to see is how, how, how inimical all this is. It, it, is just, it is just desperately evil when this sort of thing infects a place, infects a country infects a church, infects a family, infects a person. It's desperately evil by any other thing. And I just, you know, the thing is, is that, you know, maybe, and you were the most helpful, and I just want to say thank you for that, because you sort of risked the most, and then you got the most, you know, pushback. But I, I appreciate, because you sort of pushed us from, nobody knew what I was talking about, to her confession that she's a witch. And to do that in 45 <laughs> minutes, well, she got better. Uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, to get all the way to that in 45 minutes is really quite spectacular. You know, because the thing is, is what you should be, it's not, your sensibility should be up. I always say to my kids, you know, don't, don't add to the evil in the world. There's plenty of evil in the world, but you know, don't add to it. You know, there's, there's, a, there's a weight of evil in the world, don't add to it. The, the Christian thing is to, is, to, is to undercut, erase, debilitate, forgive evil and increase joy, increase goodness, right? So how do you get it right? Okay, third paragraph down. We love playing these little games. And you see, you see what the problem is? That for us, it's just little games. For other people, it's actually their life. And their life is as important as your life, okay? For us, it's just a game. You know, we just sort of play with people. We move people. We hurt people. And then we move on, and we feel better about ourselves, and they're worse, but they're out of sight, so we don't care. But they're still in the same country. For us, it's just a game. Filling in the blanks, guessing at the reality behind appearances, getting the inside scoop on people's lives. But again, just as in the Nicodemus story, Jesus shows no interest in playing the game, and John shows no interest in exploring motives. Yeah, you know this. You can't explain your way out of sin. Real forgiveness. It's the, it's the parable of the lost son, right? He tries to explain, and the father doesn't let him. You can't explain your sins. It doesn't matter what your motives are. It just doesn't matter. 
He takes her just as he finds her, no questions asked. That's grace. You can't prepare for it, boom, it hits you. He loves you in spite of yourself. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. We realize that as before with Nicodemus, this is, not, this is a story not about the woman, but about Jesus. And that's the difference between real analysis that plays in the kingdom and analysis that plays in your own kingdom, your, your, your Adamic, your, your Eve sort of kingdom. So yes, whoever asked the first question, I can't remember, of course you can chat upstairs and of course you can chat down here, but I just ask whether or not your chat is purely Christological. Is it in the way of the gospel? Is it merciful? Is it forgiving? Is it restorative? Is it for the good of other people? So there's only two kinds of language in all the world. There's language that hurts and language that helps. That's all it is. So the answer is, does your language, does your action hurt or help? Does everything, every minute of the day hurt or help? And if you can, if you can see this, you can suddenly see why <clears throat> people used to go to private confession all the time and churches used to offer the mass on a daily basis. And people would never miss church. Because if you begin to understand how deep this is in us, even in our casualness, casual sin is sometimes the worst kind because it's the most easy to deny. If you kill somebody, everybody gets that. But if you talk about somebody or ignore somebody or set them up for a fall, that's just the way life works, right? Ready to burst? Good. Actually, that's, um, thank you very much, and that's, not, that's exactly where I don't want you to go, okay? So I'm going to give you a couple of possibilities for that. One is, um, it is very important to be able to name evil when you see it, but you better be sure, right? Because it's very easy to tag people as evil or accuse people of doing things. That they, this is this, now, and I'm not, again, I'm going to use your story, but I'm not talking about you. But one of the things that I sort of tricked you into saying was, and we didn't check the data, and it worked for us, and it doesn't matter if it was really, you know. I'm, I'm kind of extending what you said, right? But I mean, one thing is, is it really forces you to analyze the data in a law and gospel way, in a Ten Commandments sort of way. Because we, we tag all sorts of things that aren't sin, and we take offense very, very easily when there's no offense given. Right? So one is you, you need to just really become good at identifying what evil is. And when you can identify it, you need to name it. Okay? You need to say, this was actually evil. And this is very difficult for all of us. Okay? And you do, in fact, then need to see it in yourself and in others. And then it works in different ways. This is precisely, for example, what the Our Father is for at night. I don't know if you sort of realize this, but in the early church, they used to pray the Our Father they would pray a petition, and then they would add the prayers of the church in, in the midst of the petitions, so that they're getting louder, aren't they? They would add the, they would add the rest of the natives, yes. They would add the prayers in after the petitions, understanding that forgive us our trespasses. Then there would be this time of sort of everybody saying out what it was that was troublesome. So your first resource, you know, is, is every night and every morning when you say your prayers. That's your first resource. Beyond that really is um, private confession. I, I mentioned this on, on Sunday. The Wall Street Journal had this um, article last, just hit it with a hammer, it'll go away. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding, don't worry about it, it stops. It's, it just happens. Well, I was just, I was just at, the, at a mass where the, just at the, and the phone went off right at the elevation point. You just go, yeah, it's just real life. That's just what happens now. But you can't, couldn't time it better. So anyway, one is you, you name evil, but when you name it, you name real evil. And if it, you need to name it external or somewhere else, you name it, but you also name it in yourself. And, and you have to become very clever about distinguishing what's a real thing. And you can only do that with sort of a thorough knowledge of the ten words, right? Second place is, this is exactly what private confession is all about. You go into somebody and you say, you blow up. And this is the difference between blowing up on Oprah and blowing up with your pastor or with a priest. 
Last night I talked, to, I had a couple of Catholic people in the room, we talked about private confession. In fact, one woman's daughter just had her first confession at the age of eight this past weekend, and we talked about you know, what that looked like. And, um, but one of the interesting things is, and, and it was interesting talking to counselors, because I said one of the things that in private confession is I rarely get, unless you come in and say, I just ax murdered my whole family, you know, that might, I might flinch a bit at that as I reach for the 911 and keep my back to the door. But, um, you know, beyond that, I'm not going to be surprised by too awful much. And frankly, that's I just it's sad, but that's true. It's interesting, one of the counselors said the same thing. He said, my first year was hell when I sort of saw all the stuff that people do to each other. My family says, I'm just kind of used to it. And sort of, so the thing is, is that's your place. And, and it used to be in the church. That's, that's what priests did. They heard confession all day. They talked about this in this Wall Street Journal article. They talked about how these three priests have set up in a mall. They hear confession from 8,000 people a year that don't even know them. That's nuts. Or you remember the Diocese of Philadelphia put in a 1-800-CONFESS line? Flipping jammed all day long, people calling in. Or there's a website. Do you remember, the, and it was the, came out of the play that Claire did? The, the, the thing that Claire did last year for her speech thing, you remember? That play was based on a real-life thing where people could type in their sins and say what they'd done. You know, I stole money and another guy's, it was secrets, yes, but it was, I stole money and another man's been in prison for 12 years for it. You know, that kind of stuff, boom, you know. But the problem is you can't confess other people's sins, and I think where, like what you're talking about, Gretchen, is more sins against you. You get angry about it. But you can confess other people's sins. That's the shame part. Shame is when other people, there's two, two things that happen in private confession, shame and guilt. Shame is when somebody does something to you horrible, and you say, now what am I going to do with this? Because you do have this deep-seated anger, and the world is an evil place. That's one thing. It's been done to you, right? The other side is guilt, where you've done something to somebody else. Both of those things happen, and that's your venue. The third one, of course, is Sunday morning at Altar and Font. So yeah, and you know what? And you can find, and here's this, and part of the scripture, so I'll give you a fourth, and part of it is this thing where it says wise old women in the, in the group are supposed to help young women. What are you supposed to help young women do? You're not supposed to teach them to gossip. You're not supposed to teach them to analyze in this way. You're supposed to teach them that they live in this particular country. And in this country, there's a particular way that we live. And sometimes people live outside that. And when it's live outside that, we analyze it in a particular way that's Christological. So this would um, be, and I'm not going to accountability partners, because that's kind of the evangelical bastardization of private confession in the immortal words of someone whom I love. You know, well, yes, they have toaster covers rather than icons. So um, here's the thing. Uh, you find, so there's at least four ways. But that's very different than sitting at a table and saying, you'll never believe this, right? So you're right, you don't internalize it. In fact, what happens in confession is, in all forms of confession, in all four of those cases, you actually externalize it. You actually pull it out of yourself and you put it there for all the world to see, including God, and then you leave it. That's what happens at the supper. You bring it all up there, you drop it off, and Jesus will take care of it. And you go home without it. It's complete externalization. Evil can be so subtle. Yes, it can be subtle. Exactly, but here's the thing, and now I will say, I, I want to go from what you said, which is you said in this particular group of women. What I'm begging you to do is be a little more sophisticated in your lives. Grow up in the faith. Yeah, it is subtle. You know why? Because we practiced. It's the old Mark Twain thing. What's the problem with lying? Nobody's any good at it. Have you read this essay? And then he says, so what you need to do is start to lie early and often. And then by the time you're older, you'll be really good at it, and nobody will catch you, and you won't have any pain, right? Yes, it's subtle, because we're really good. We practice every day. Now, I've already sinned once this morning. I had somebody come in, and they said, I've been complaining about this thing for a long time, and I'm not going to complain about it anymore. I'm wasting all this time complaining about this. I'm like... I said, I can get you to complain about this in the next five minutes. And then there was a little conversation. It was like four minutes and 12 seconds. I was like, yeah, I'm good at this. This is great. I can provoke you even when you think you don't want to complain. I can do it. Because I can tell you stuff about people here that you wouldn't believe. And really, we could talk it over for their good. <laughs> That's the scary part. That's where you have Yes, please. Um, I was going to say, I, I know I have come for private confession, and there have been a where you have um, said to me, what was the sin? I, this thing where you said, name, naming the evil, 
Right. I, f I found that very helpful because there have been many times where I'll feel completely sinned against, but, you know, when you speak with someone who isn't, you know, emotionally involved, like, or all riled up about it, a little more level-headed, right. you know, asking just some, you know, that's hard, but I, will I say appreciate it. And I do too. Um, my, my experience with my confessors is exactly the same. Everybody should have a confessor. The pastors don't have confessors in the Missouri Senate. It's just ludicrous, but that's a whole other story. Everybody needs a confessor because everybody needs the external view. Everybody needs to get straightened out. Everybody needs to be put back into place. And that can be, um, you know. <laughs> what could that possibly be? It feels like something coming to get you. Don't you think one of those transformer things is going to break through the wall? It's Augie. Yeah, let's blame it on Augie. Yes, you're right. Yes, I'm sorry. I was actually listening to all this. One of the things I was struck with in the first part of the book is the whole idea of play. Yes, right. And what's hard for me, at least, is as an, as an adult, I feel like I should, I should know better. I mean, that it's almost like I have to remind myself every day that I have the same sins that I did. 10 years ago and 20 years ago, and there's actually this completely simple way to look at it. Like when you're going, when I'm, when I'm going through with Chloe and Claire and talking about, you know, hearing you say, you just leave your sins at the altar. It, it, God, God's already done it for you. I think as adults, it's like we forget some of the most simple things that God has instructed us to do. And then to talk about playing with it. Right. It's like, Right. We're not supposed to play anymore. It's, that's probably helpful to bring us all the way back around because there are the greatest Christians I've known have been the most playful ones. The, the people, joy is the mark of the gospel. Jesus, John 15, I've come that your joy, I've come that you have joy and that your joy may be full, complete, you know, overwhelming. And I think, I think partly the, uh, and it's easy even for me. I mean, even for me, I might probably let you go on for 50 minutes about the horrible side of all this when in reality when it's not right. But yet you, you do have to you do have to clear the decks. You didn't kill him, did you? Did you kill him? <coughs> she struck him down, didn't you? <coughs> Boom. Um, you know, but part, partly, to, but, but partly, just be sensitive to the fact that he sort of takes you in four places. But the first thing he says is clear the decks. You clear the decks of all of the spirituality. You clear the decks of yourself. And in effect, what you do is talk about Christ, 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 and that's what happens with both John three and John. Okay. Yes, Mike. Yes, there was. That's right. That's right. Right. Just confess it the way the Lord gives it to you to confess. Yeah, that's right. And you multiply your errors. If you start wrong, everything, it's like philosophy. Your first premise is wrong, everything is built. Or you heard, I didn't, just on the news this morning, there's some, and I didn't even hear what it was, but some, there's some either tax program or Excel program that calculates every time you get 65,000, it gets like 100,000. And I think it's a tax program. So you might want to look for repulse when you go back to work. But it's like, now everything they've done with that program, all of the United States is forgiven. All the stuff they've done because they've made the, the calculations are wrong. You go, whoa, that's going to be a mess, right? <clears throat> they did say something about the IRS, which makes me think, you know, a lot of people are kind of thinking. Well, anyway, um, so here's the thing. I just just use those initial stories to sort of clear the deck. You extraordinarily, this was extraordinarily helpful. As was your question. I mean, very honest. As was yours. Are sort of pushing us back. You can just sort of. I think there's a way of, and poetry does it for you, and beauty does, there is a way, you might go back and just sort of read that of what it would be to see, I mean, Christ in 10,000 places, you know, it's a lot of things, but of course it's to see Christ everywhere in the face of everybody you meet today, in all 10,000 of them that you see everywhere. And when you start to do that, and you see the way Christ sees and not the way you see yourself and others, life will be different. 
And I, I just, I just want to say once more about your comment. Um, I myself, in preparing this, I thought um, to myself, uh, is this the sort of thing uh, that would be helpful for you? And then I also know um, that sometimes when I read these things that are so basic, for instance, Nowen's book, I was exhausted before the end of every chapter last year. I mean, I was just exhausted. And there wasn't any particular, it wasn't because it was challenging intellectually. It was horribly challenging spiritually. It was the exhaustion of it and the press to, 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 to live the life you're meant to do. Peterson does the same thing. He's trying to press you. I know you're saved. I know you're going to heaven. I know you're forgiven. What I'm asking is, that's just the beginning. Push on to what that would mean. And the thing is, if 10, 20, 30 of you could sort of figure that out, and your conversations would change, and your lives would change, and your presuppositions about other people would change, and the way you analyze life would change, and the way you see the world would change, the way you engage the challenges of life. And if you can see all the world is play, that suddenly the world is filled with joy, and that you neither give offense or take offense, that's how you want to live. It really is. In your family, in your church, with other people, that's the way you want to live. That's the way Christ meant for you to live. And it does take some practice. And, you know, practice isn't good works. I'm not talking about good works under salvation, but we're done. I mean, we're moving from, from that as our basis. Everybody gets that. We're moving to the next thing. What would it mean for a church to live in this particular way? What would it mean for you to see Christ in 10,000 places? What would that mean? The world would be a different place. And your lives would be satisfying and better. But the only way that you can have that is to trust it in advance of seeing it. So I, I hope you do. Hey, man, pick one. Who do you want? Pick one. Pick anyone you want, man. <laughs> let's pray and let's go. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Hey, for next week, it was a long chapter. We kind of play around in the second half. So maybe, you know, the last 25 pages or so that's beyond the first two stories. It talks about three words for it and then a dance. Kind of just play around in the rest of that chapter, read it through. In the first chapter, in the chapter we were in, we, there's no way we talked about, you know, 50 pages worth of stuff. So in the chapter that starts with... Um, clearing the playing field, page 13. You know, most of our chat was um, before page 20. If you can kind of look around from 20 to, I think it goes to about 47 or something like that. Just kind of look around in that, because there's some other things to talk about. And the dance gets to the play, okay? So, thanks.